question for you this morning, I have two of them to ponder and think about. How much is enough? How much is enough? And how much do we really need? These are the questions that we must ask ourselves when it comes to our daily living, and especially in our walk with Christ together. And our scripture today from Luke bids us to ponder these questions and to faithfully respond to them in ways that seek to honor God. Jesus is approached by a man who comes to him asking him as a rabbi to settle a dispute, a family feud, so to speak, regarding his inheritance with his brother. He says to him, "'Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me.'" But Jesus responds to him that he has not been appointed an arbiter or a judge to settle their dispute. But instead, he gives them a stern warning saying, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. You see, the Jewish law required that the oldest son receive two-thirds of the inheritance while the youngest would receive a third. And Jesus knew this, but he wasn't about to get involved in this family's affairs. Rather, he used it as an opportunity to teach these brothers and to teach the crowds and those around him that life is not about having money or possessions. And he does so by doing what Jesus does best. He tells them a parable. And he tells them a parable about a rich man. This particular man was a farmer who had lots of land, and most likely his property controlled much of the agricultural produce in the region that he lived in, and he just happened to have a very bountiful crop. Now, I don't know how many of you have done farming. I have never done farming, but I lived in a farm town when I was serving my first congregation in Bennettsville, South Carolina. Many of our church members were farmers. And I have to tell you, anytime I would ask them how things were going, I would always hear, well, we've had too much rain, or we've not had enough rain. I never heard, well, the weather's been perfect, and our crop's incredible. That never once came out of their mouths. Farming is not an easy thing to do, but the reality is, is that while you can work super hard, it's ultimately kind of up to God to provide you the weather that you need to make things grow. This particular farmer benefited from God's benevolence in providing him the perfect conditions necessary to give him a bountiful crop. But in doing so, it was a problem for him because he had ran out of room to store his grain, and so he had no place to put it. So he decided to tear down the barns that he had and to build bigger barns so that he could store all of this grain in one place. And he began to think to himself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. His hard work had finally paid off, providing him a nest egg, an opportunity for an early retirement. Now he could enjoy life without having to labor or worry about the future. Or could he? Jesus' next words make the story take an unprecedented twist. He says, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. 
I believe that Jesus' words took his audience by surprise. Why was this man foolish? Clearly he was a hard worker, which led him to be a very successful farmer. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 4 tells us, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. This wasn't a lazy man. He was a hard worker, and he appears to be a good steward of his harvest, making sure that nothing goes to waste. Jesus doesn't tell us that he was dishonest in any way, and one would presume that because he was wealthy, he was probably respectable in his community. I mean, isn't it wise for us to save, especially for our retirement, to work hard now to prepare for a time when we're no longer able to work? You see, this parable in some ways is reminiscent of Joseph in the book of Genesis, who instructed Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to store up grain for seven years knowing that seven years after that, there would be a big famine in the land. And by storing up their surplus grain, it would allow them to provide nourishment and feed all who lived in Egypt. Not only those in Egypt, though, it would also take care of Joseph's family living in Israel. So why is this man, according to Jesus, a fool? In all four Gospels, Jesus speaks about what we do with our wealth and our possessions more than anything else. And his message is very consistent in all of them. He never tells us that being wealthy is a bad thing, nor does he say that being poor is virtuous. Rather, he says things like this to us. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, the man is foolish for two reasons. First, he thinks he is self-sufficient in earning his keep. And secondly, he refuses to use his wealth for the welfare of others in need. Ten times in this parable, the rich man uses the possessive pronouns and language of I and my rather than we or our. He sounds like a child who refuses to share his toy with another. This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns, and there I will store my surplus grain, he says. 
He is so self-focused that he has forgotten that his abundant harvest was a result of God's provision and not just of his hard work. His pride and his self-centeredness keeps him from sharing with others who do not have enough. In other words, while the parable is much like that of Joseph, he's no Joseph. He's not sharing. He's built bigger barns in order to kick back and relax and live the rest of his life to the fullest. And you may say, well, what's wrong with that? Aren't we supposed to prepare? Well, what's wrong with this in this particular instance is that when food gets scarce, this man will be able to sell what he has stored up for a high price. He, in some ways, will have a monopoly, just like the oil companies do when gas is scarce when we have natural disasters and they hike up gas prices. This is taking advantage of the poor, not providing for them. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-seven tells us, Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. He is guilty of storing for himself only. And his actions lead him down a dangerous road of greed that Jesus warns us about. And while he has forgotten God, God has not forgotten him. God tells him that his life will be taken from him and his riches will be left behind. His greediness has indicted him guilty of not being rich towards God. And the richer that he becomes materially, the poorer he becomes spiritually. And his final breath is a belated announcement of a spiritual death that has taken place long before. Jesus is warning these two brothers who are caught up in having possessions and also the crowds around him and even us today to watch out. Now, I would dare say that no one here considers him or herself to be greedy. I mean, how many of us are building bigger barns to store our surplus right now? But I think that our struggle with greed is more subtle than that. Greed is more exposed when we focus on our luxuries rather than our necessities, or even when we confuse the two. Greed is more noticeable when our identity is dependent on what we consume, or when our identity is shaped by how much we make or how much we have. Greed is present when we struggle to give beyond ourselves, not because we lack the means to do so, but because we justify why we shouldn't. You see, I find that we live in the tension between both of our Proverbs today. There are many who are quick to affirm that lazy hands make for poverty, and there's no doubt that all of us are called to work and to earn a fair living. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them to work together in the garden. That was not a result of sin. We're called to do that. And to give glory to God in that. Even the Apostle Paul said, The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We justify not giving because we don't want to enable poor behaviors. You know, giving a handout, so to speak. And it's true that there are some who work the system and who abuse the government assistance that they receive or that they try to take advantage of good-hearted folks who want to take care of them. But I find that the majority of America's poor and needy don't represent this small group. Many of them work very hard, but they don't make a fair wage. Many of them struggle because of unexpected circumstances like 
physical health issues or disabilities or mental health issues, loss of employment, some who are elderly and are on fixed incomes. According to the 2018 census statistics, the poverty threshold for a family of four last year was $25,701. That's nothing. And this is where many poor families find themselves today, making very little, but trying to make ends meet. And I find that if we're honest with ourselves, the truth is that all of us are just one tragic accident or one bad diagnosis away from finding our own financial situations in jeopardy. The shoe could easily be on the other foot. So God blesses us not to be hoarders, but to be generous in our giving to those who struggle. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them will receive many curses. The question that we are forced to ask ourselves is, how much is enough? How much do we really need? And I find today that our struggle is not so much about storage barns, it's storage bins. I mean, how many of these do we have in our homes filled to the brim with stuff that we've accumulated over the years that, honestly, we no longer use? And we continue to accumulate them, and we eventually run out of storage space in our homes, and we're forced to go and rent storage facilities in order to put that stuff in, right? Oh, everyone's laughing because you know it's true. And then when we move, we take that stuff with us, and we never get rid of any of it, right? It just follows us wherever we go. Like the man in the parable, we accumulate so much stuff, more and more hoarding things that in some ways could be given to the poor and needy, or at least given to organizations that can sell it and provide for the poor and needy. But oftentimes we decide that when we want to do something with it, that we put it on Craigslist or eBay so that we can make more money, so we can buy more stuff. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. How much is enough? Jesus makes it clear that there are no storage facilities in heaven. Praise be to God. But he knows the subtle dangers of greed. He knows that an abundance can breed discontentment. He knows that we can easily allow money and our possessions to become idols that control us. God also knows that money and having material needs are essential for living. They're not bad things. Jesus never renounces possessions as evil. Just the spirit of possessiveness. What we own is not supposed to own us. And while making a living is an important part of making ends meet for all of us, money is not meant to be at the center of our lives. God is. The Apostle Paul reminds us, saying, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Jesus wants us to share. He wants us to give freely to the needs of the poor. I mean, when you think about it, isn't this what God does for us, for all of us? I mean, he gives freely to all of us. And if you think about it, every one of us takes advantage of God's generosity and his graciousness in our lives. But God never withholds his grace or his goodness towards us because we do such thing. He continues to be generous. God wants us to be intentional with our wealth, to be good stewards of what he has given to us already, not just to take care of ourselves, but also to bless others who are in need. And as God's church together, our giving is really not about meeting a church budget. That's not what it's about. Instead, it's acknowledging that God is at the center of our lives, not our money. And we give intentionally and collectively to care for the needy here in our community and around the world because God commands us in the scriptures to care for the orphan and the poor and the widow among us. And as we give collectively together, together we affirm that our lives do not consist in an abundance of possessions, rather... We affirm that our lives consist in an abundance of blessings. God's blessings. And we affirm together that God has blessed us so that you and I might be a blessing to others too. It's my prayer that we would never forget this. That together we would continue to be rich towards God as we seek to be an intentional blessing to the needy among us. Friends, may it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.